Remain standing with me. Open up your word to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 13. Ushers, you should have already passed out our timelines for um, Holy Week. Go ahead and stand with me, everybody, for the, the word of God. Um, if you did not get a timeline this morning, if you would just slip up our, your hand and our ushers will get it to you. Keep those hands raised. We got a few scattered through um, out the, the auditorium. Um, get those to who you can right now. If you don't get it right now, get it before you leave today. While they're doing that, just keep your hand up till they get it to you. We're going to read um, Luke chapter 7, verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And said to her, do not weep. Then Jesus came up and touched the coffin, or the scripture says the bier. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up. That'd freak you out. And began to speak. You may be seated. Today is Palm Sunday, the start of Passion Week. And everyone should have received a chart by now. If you go ahead and pull that up on the screen um, behind me. My wife found this chart a couple of years ago and gave it to me. And I, I've loved this just because I'm a very timeline-oriented kind of person. So it shows in chronological order the events of the Passion Week, starting out with Jesus's on the left-hand column, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, go on down event by event by event. So he would look around the temple on Sunday. He would return to Bethany, spend the night. Then Monday, as he came back into Jerusalem, would curse the barren tree. So you see all of the events in this first column on the left. Then on the column, you'll see Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, the days of the week. Then beside that, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then all of the locations where that takes place at. So it parallels the scripture of where those events took place at, um, and even the timeline, or the timestamp at some of those events on the left-hand side of the chart. It's a, an incredible chart. Um, I give this to you, we give this to you because we don't want Holy Week to pass you by. Easter will come and go. And if we're not proactive, it will leave us behind. Jesus, he came and he's gonna go. And if we're not proactive, we'll get left behind as well. And so we need to be intentional in wiring ourselves in and grafting ourselves into faith. Said it um, so many times that Easter's too big to be celebrated in one day. Um, we need to take this time and just really consecrate ourselves during this Easter season. So today on the chart, we're on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus descended down the Mount of Olives, and he goes into Jerusalem. As he descends down the Mount of Olives, the crowds are waving palm branches, which why you're seeing a couple of palm branches around the room today, over here on my left. Um, and uh, they shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The crowds, as Jesus was coming down and into Jerusalem, thought they were getting ready to celebrate and to coronate an earthly king. But plot twist, the unthinkable would happen this week. Jesus would be crucified. The people wanted deliverance from Rome 
But the Jewish leaders knew that if Jesus came into power, they would lose their control. And we don't like when we lose control. Is that just me? People don't like when they lose control. So the Jewish leaders become friends with their enemy, Rome. Isn't it crazy that the Jewish leaders were more threatened by Jesus than they were by Rome? Rome in all of its glory, a massive empire with naval and army, I mean just a military empire, the Jewish leaders are more threatened by Jesus than they are by Rome. And so they join forces to team up and try and kill God. Just for the record, you can't kill God. The problem with trying to kill God is he has this superpower called resurrection, right? And society for far too long has been trying to kill God. America, you cannot kill God. Secularists, you can't reason God out. Philanthropists, you can't buy God out. School boards, you can't educate God out. And Disney and Hollywood, you can't write God out the script. You can't kill what doesn't die. He's here to stay whether we like it or not. He is here. Mankind, the scripture says, is but a breath. So all these people that have problems with the eternal forget that they are temporal. And we will pass away. He's here to stay. So Jesus, according to the infinite plan of God, would be crucified. And even though Jesus had told his disciples what awaited, everyone was in disbelief of what took place that week. Why? Because man had their thoughts of what should take place. But Jesus wasn't there to fulfill man's plans. He's not here to fulfill our plans. Jesus is here and was there to fulfill God's plan and check the box, death defeated, right? And so today we're gonna go a little bit different route from the normal Palm Sunday message. We're gonna look at another time where Jesus defeated death outside a city or a little town called Name. Luke chapter seven, verse 11. Says the next day Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus had healed the centurion's servant. Jesus had remarked to the centurion that he had not found such great faith in all of Israel. And then the next day, rather than being caught up in the success of yesterday, what does he do? He goes back on a mission. And he journeys towards Nain. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't get so caught up in his public ministry that he missed the mission at hand because mission will take us where our public ministry will not. Mission will take us where our to-do list and our schedules won't allow us to go. Mission will take us to where it's not value added. Mission will take us to places like Nain. If you'll pull that map up of Nain. Nain is only mentioned one time in scripture. 
name seems to be out in the middle of nowhere. Jesus was working up in Capernaum, up here on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee in that red dot. That's where he based his ministry out of for the most part. That's where he operated and would go into the Tiberias region. And so um, after he heals the centurion's servant right there in that red dot, Capernaum, he journeys southward to the town called Nain. It's about a 20 to 25 mile journey. We complain when we got a 15 minute car ride, right? Jesus goes on a 20 to 25 mile walk to a town called Nain. And by the time Jesus gets to the outskirts of the city the next day, it was probably close to evening time. Jesus, I'd like to insert you into the setting. After walking eight hours, he's probably tired and hungry. And there's a great crowd with him. And we know church folk that when they get hungry and tired after listening to the preacher for a little bit, they're ready to go eat and get a nap, right? So imagine the great crowd with Jesus. Jesus alone was probably ready to rest and to have a break from the disciples and the crowd that was with him. And I love how Luke points out that it's a great crowd because the life that Jesus lived and led was not done in a private corner, right? He was very public. He didn't stay in the corner. He let his light shine for all to see. And so as the day is waning and as he draws near to the gate of the town, verse 12 says, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her as well. So on the one hand, you have a large group of people coming into the city, spending time with Jesus, a crowd full of rejoicing, a crowd full of celebrating all of the things that God has done amongst them, a crowd full of this just life-giving jubilation spirit. But on the other hand, you have another large crowd leaving the city in a completely different atmosphere as they're journeying out of the city, the atmosphere of death, full of mourning and weeping, one crowd celebrating life and another crowd grieving loss. Both crowds as they're coming together on a collision course with destiny, with Jesus at the very center. This young man, this young man that had died was the only son of his mother. The only child, the only son, and not only that, she was a widow as well. So the situation for this woman is not good, right? With both her husband dead and her only son dead, now her income stream had been cut off. This meant that she would have to do everything she could for the future to make ends meet. Her livelihood was at risk. The son that she hoped to lean on like a staff in her old age would now become a reed, a broken reed that would pierce her soul. The son that she hoped to give children and grandchildren and bring joy and laughter into the home was now gone and she was full of sorrow, surrounded by a large crowd. And no one in the crowd could do anything for her. No one but Jesus. We can surround ourselves with a lot of people. But if Jesus 
ain't in the crowd. Better yet, if we ain't in Jesus's crowd, life will be hopeless and life will be empty. We better live a life and lead a life where we stay close to the Savior. We better be within arm's reach of the Savior. And when the Lord, it says, saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Jesus, earlier in the chapter, had just walked out of a faith-filled scenario with the centurion. But this situation was remarkably different because faith is not mentioned in this passage. See, while Jesus desires that we are a people who are full of faith, he still performs the miraculous in situations where faith is not present. I, I get it that without faith, church, it's impossible to please God, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I get it that faith, it moves mountains, but there is another part of God's character, another part of God's nature called mercy, and thank God for his mercy. Thank God that in his mercy, he heals. Thank God that in mercy, he delivers. Thank God in his mercy, he sets free. Thank God that in situations where we are not able to muster up, muster seed-sized faith, that he in compassion will reach in and through the veil into a helpless, hurting, and broken situation and work the miraculous. So many times we think, well, I'm not a super saint. I treasure faith and I want you to be a person of faith. But if it takes it on you to muster up the faith, it's a bad situation. Because God in his mercy can redeem the most broken situations. Thank God for his compassion because Jesus' compassion, watch that, it, it didn't stop at just emotion. His compassion transcended emotion, and it led him to action. Church, far too often our compassion ends in emotion alone, where we feel poorly for a person going through a negative circumstance, where we, we feel bad because of the situation that they are in, and our heart goes out and our prayers go up, but our hand is far removed. Jesus, his compassion drove him to action. Christ-like compassion drives us to action. And when the Lord saw her, he had, are y'all with me this morning? He had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. This woman was very sorrowful and rightfully so. Her family was experiencing death and death, it has a sting. First Corinthians says that the sting of death is sin. And this woman is feeling the full weight of that sting that day. But Jesus, peering into the situation from a heart full of compassion, looks at her and says, do not weep. This is not a wise thing to say to a mother who has just lost her only son. Unless you can do something about it. And when I say do something about it, I mean bring that son back. Jesus has the audacity to say, do not weep. Notice that the commandment came before the resurrection. 
See, when everything in the world was telling her to weep, Jesus, heaven, said, weep no more. Why? Because obedience to the voice of God calls us to lift ourselves up above the present circumstances in which we find ourselves in. To set, to set our mind on things that are above to know that we look through a glass that is dimly lit, but one day we will stand face to face before a resurrected Savior and we will see with an unfiltered lens all that God is wanting to do in the beauty of His glory. He says, do not weep before Jesus ever touched the coffin, before the miracle transpired, before the dead was brought back to life. He called her to stop weeping. See, Jesus was fully aware of the situation that had happened. And even though he wasn't there, he was aware. Even though he wasn't there, he was aware. You know what this tells me? Jesus saw. And then once he saw, he spoke. And once he spoke, he touched. I don't know if you think that Jesus is there or not, but he is not unaware of the situation or the circumstances that you are going through in life. He is very connected. He is very aware. He sees. He is speaking. And he is reaching out his arm to touch your situation. And our response must be to listen to the call, to heed the word, and to embrace his touch. Jesus came up, and he touched the coffin. Aren't you thankful that Jesus walks up to our broken situations? I know I say this all the time, but all the time we need reminding of this because we disconnect from this truth in broken situations. I'm thankful that Jesus walks up into our mess. I'm thankful that though this coffin was ceremonially unclean because of the dead body that laid in it, and, he, and, and, and a rabbi was not to defile himself unless it was for family. See, the coffin was unclean because there's a dead body in it, and a rabbi could never defile themselves because of the unclean that was there unless it was for family. You know what this means? Jesus knew. They were all God's children, therefore family. The religious, they had this, this problem. To be unclean was not to be in sin, right? To be unclean was not to be in sin. Sin and uncleanness were different things, but the religious, they never wanted to be unclean because it would separate them from their, their piety. And how many times do we not want to associate ourselves with those unclean things because of how it might reflect on our lives? And we get that religious fear, oh, I can't be around them, or I can't do that because I'd be associated with that. People might think this about me being there, and we get in this mindset of ceremonial uncleanness. Jesus looked beyond the uncleanness, and he was driven by mission. He was driven by compassion, laying traditions aside, and walks up, and he touches the coffin. And when Jesus touched the coffin, the bearers stood still. All I can imagine is, in this situation, it was just as frantic as it was when Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee. And in the same words, just as he had spoke to the winds and the waves, peace be still. 
Jesus speaks to this storm, a storm that is hopeless, a storm that had great winds and great waves. And Jesus, through one single touch, brings the storm to a halt. You know what happened? The master's hand confirmed the master's voice. That was good. I'm going to say it again. The master's hand confirmed the master's voice. He had said, weep no more. Church, what God is working in you, he will confirm with what he is saying to you. His work confirms his word. Say that again. What God is working in you will confirm what God is saying to you. Because always his work will confirm his word and his word will confirm his work. Always. But even though Jesus had said, weep no more. Watch this. The funeral procession stayed in motion. It continued. Our commotion, our emotion, our pain can be so loud that it can drown out the voice of Jesus. We can get ourselves so worked up where we cannot even hear what God is speaking. It wasn't until Jesus touched the coffin that the coffin came to a halt. And Jesus had already said, weep no more, but the, the train... The train of death had stayed in motion up to that point. So the funeral procession, it would have just continued in spite of what Jesus was speaking. The funeral procession would have gone on to go and bury the dead person. They would have missed out on what God was wanting to work. All because their emotion drowned out the voice of Jesus. How many times have we buried breakthrough? Because the emotion in our lives was louder than God's truth in our lives. How many times have we buried the miracle that God is wanting to resurrect, God is wanting to perform, because the emotion in our lives is louder than the truth of God's voice in our lives. We can get so worked up, we can get so emotional, we can get so bent out of shape over things that we cannot heed the voice of the Savior saying unto us, weep no more. And we can continue with the procession. What it was when touched the coffin that the whole funeral procession stopped. Sometimes Jesus has to make us lie down in green pastures. That's what the psalm says. He makes me, not bids me, not ask me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He will lead us by still waters because we would often choose the rapids of life instead of the still waters that he's wanting to take us by so that he can talk to us and he can garner our attention. See, it was in this moment when he came and touched the coffin that the crowd came to a halt. And at this moment, everybody was watching and leaning in as heaven's gift began to reverse hell's curse. The worship team, if you'd come to the stage, Jesus said, young man, I say to you, arise. This young man was dead. Could do nothing by his own power. Just like those who are dead spiritually can do nothing by their own power. This situation was hopeless, but God. Right? And Jesus, he walks in, he says, 
arise. Jesus didn't have to say two words, just one word, right? Just one touch. And there was but one choice for the dead body but to arise. Church, what is Jesus saying to the young people of this generation today? Notice it was a young man. He would say, young man, I'm telling you, I say to you, arise. Young lady, I say to you, arise. Student, arise from your sleep. Arise from your sin. Arise from lust. Arise from the temptation of the world. Arise from insecurity. Arise from worldly acceptance. Arise from death. Arise. A generation that needs to wake up for they are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And as priests in the kingdom, Leviticus says that there are certain garments that the priest must wear. And so I believe scripture speaks prophetically to this generation that battles with emotional and mental health so much. The scripture would say, cast off the garments of heaviness and put on the garments of praise because it's time for a generation to arise. Arise from being asleep. It is time. See, Jesus, he had defeated death and he's calling unto us to arise both physically and spiritually. And the scripture says, the dead man, the dead man sat up and began to speak. Play that clip for me. Little Lion King for you. It is time. It is It is time. Simba had just battled in the scar, as James has said, the scar from the past. And there came a moment where it is time to rise up. And what did he do? He opened up his mouth. This boy, when he was resurrected, says the dead man, what did he do? He sat up and began to speak. There comes a point where when we rise up, we sit up and we open up our mouth and we begin to speak. Death cannot keep captive what Jesus sets free. And when Jesus speaks, creation must respond. It has no choice. It has no option. Which is why we are to proclaim God's word from our mouth. As Ryan Hart would say, his word in our mouth is just as powerful as it leaving his mouth. 
That's why we speak the word of God. Arise. He sits up and he begins to speak. He opens up his mouth. We're not told what he says. However, I can only imagine. We're just told the response. Because as he begins to speak, verse 16 says, fear seizes everyone. A holy reverence, a holy awe, and they begin to give glory to God. Church, there is but one response when we come back from death to life. We should be gripped with the same holy reverence, this holy awe, and begin to glorify God. We should open up our mouth. We should tell it from mountaintop to valley below that Jesus has defeated the greatest weapon of the enemy. Death has been defeated. Why are we so passionate about sharing our faith? Why are we so passionate about getting people to the house of God? Because Jesus has defeated death. And we must share the greatest of news with everyone around us. And that clip from Lion King, Rafiki, the monkey, Swahili translation for Rafiki is friend. Sometimes we just need some friends to come alongside, put that arm around and say, it is time. Arise. Arise. Put a friend, put an arm around a friend. We speak it. We encourage it. We open up our mouth. Our response cannot be to stay quiet. We must go. 1 Corinthians 15, in closing, if you would stand up. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The altar team, if you would come down to the front at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and perishable and we shall be changed we don't say the same we shall be changed for the perishable body must put on the imperishable the mortal must put on immortality and when that happens the mortal puts on the immortal then shall come to pass the saying that it says death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your sting oh death where is your victory? The sting of death, it's sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. After we receive the victory, what does he say? Be faithful in ministry. This holy week, may we be about the Father's business. May we not just be the crowd who shouts Hosanna on Palm Sunday, but may we be those who go into all the world and preach the gospel knowing that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few and we have a commission, we have a command. May we be those who gather in the harvest as we share that death has been defeated. Church, he stayed on mission. Jesus stayed on mission. He didn't get so caught up in ambition that he missed out on the mission, right? Compassion led him to action, and compassion must lead us to action. We've got to arise from sin, arise from death, and then go and tell it to the mountaintops. 
I don't know who's here today, but if you got lost loved ones and lost family members, lost community members, lost neighbors that need to get to the house of God, I'm calling us all to come and begin to pray and get after the heart of God for Easter as we get ready to celebrate death defeated. If there's somebody that you're praying for this Easter, I want you to come down to the front. I want you to come down to the front and I want us to join hands together and begin to pray over our community, begin to pray over our nation. Somebody that needs to come back from death to life. Somebody that needs to come from darkness into light this Easter season. Come on, get out of your seat and let's join as a family of faith for our Easter.